Chapter Two of Yesterday Framed in Today by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two. It was a true report which I heard in mine own land. The Holman family, owing to their afflictions and the constant strain upon them of anxiety and care, lived a very quiet life, mingling but little even with their neighbors and avoiding society almost entirely yet their home was near the city and all the news of importance reached them sooner or later at the time in which our story opens news of a very strange and startling nature engrossed the minds of the public there had come to the city at intervals during the season a man who seemed if one might judge by results to be a physician of no common order he was an entire stranger to the neighborhood but very soon after his first visit, remarkable stories began to be circulated as to his power over disease and pain, and, indeed, over trouble of almost any sort. The most amazing reports had reached the Holmans of the man's ability to cure those who had been for years considered incurable, and this, not with a long and expensive process of medical treatment, but with a touch, a word, sometimes with only a look, of course the city was divided as to its opinions many sneered at all the stories as baseless follies they affirmed that the cures were performed on the bodies of those who had diseased imaginations only and having imagined themselves ill they could on occasion of course as easily imagine themselves well there were some who shook their heads and looked mysterious and hinted that there was something strange and unnatural not to say uncanny about it all most people believed in the existence of an evil spirit and it had never been proved that he had not his emissaries in human flesh immediately arose those who affirmed that to cure human pain and relieve misery and give peace where before had been unrest was certainly not the work of evil spirits but there were answers ready for such satan it was said knew enough in these days to make of himself an angel of light when occasion demanded so the city was divided and excitement ran high in the little house on the outskirts of the city where our interest centers it had not been supposed that there was held other opinions than those advanced by the grave-faced often stern father we will have nothing to do with such matters he had said with the positiveness that characterized him nor do we want people running here to tell their marvelous tales it is nothing new there has been some sort of excitement afloat to make the credulous gape and help the heedless into evil ever since the world began there always will be i suppose but we need not be caught by it just keep away from such unhealthy outbursts and avoid the people who are forever talking about them that has always been my habit and it is a good one for my children to copy no good ever comes from stepping out of the regular routine of respectable life i do not believe in street preaching or street performing of any kind let it be distinctly understood that i will not have the names of any of my family connected with excitements like these yet despite this emphatic announcement and the apparent assurance which the father felt that in this as in all other matters his children would follow his example stories of the stranger's marvelous power did float into the house from time to time 
the few neighbors who continued to be friendly with the isolated family and who ran in to try to cheer them in their loneliness would talk about what was going on in town their stories were not much heeded by the mother the truth is she was one of those women who believe that what father thinks is right and best all the rest of the world to the contrary notwithstanding so she sat quietly at her sewing and smiled incredulously over the marvels and only heard half of the particulars and merely cautioned the girls that they were not to bother father by repeating any of the talk the younger daughter however liked to listen to the reports they fed her love of the wonderful the details amused her greatly and as often as opportunity offered despite the father's injunction she was sure to question until she had drawn out the particulars she was however much too loyal to her father and perhaps too much like him by nature to have the slightest interest beyond that of amusement in any of the stories so much as a hint of their possibly serious character was sure to make her indignant as for the elder daughter she listened to the talk as opportunity offered in utmost quiet sometimes her face flushed over the details and she caught her breath occasionally to suppress an exclamation though of what character it would have been she kept quite to herself matters were in this state with the father absent from home on a business trip when something very like a bombshell of excitement burst in the quiet cottage david the helpless who it was thought had long ago given up the hope of leaving his room until that solemn day when he should be carried from it coffined suddenly announced his determination of being carried to town the next time the strange physician visited it he would see for himself if there was any truth in the stories if even one-third of them were true it ought to be possible to have something done for him in vain the frightened mother urged the folly nay the utter cruelty of such an attempt had he forgotten the awful agony of the time when they moved him ever so gently to his present couch true he was in less pain now than he used to be but that was because he had none of those terrible movings to endure did he not remember that even now there were days when the jar caused by persons walking across the room was more than he could bear how then could he think it possible for him to endure the motion of the street the more fully she spread it out before him the more fully she realized his utter folly not so david it is of no use mother he said what you tell me may all be true and my case is probably as you say utterly hopeless nevertheless i mean to make the attempt even though i should die on the road the boys will carry me on that newly discovered cot in such a way that there will be almost no jar a great many things can be done now mother that could not when i first lay down in this room please good little mother do not try to keep me from making this effort my whole soul is determined on it i must see this man you know how long it is since i felt any interest in doctors i do not know why i should feel as i do but i am as determined to carry out this plan as i ever was to do anything in my life and you remember do you not that i used to have a will of my own there was a faint flush of color on his face as he made this reference nobody ever reminded him how entirely that will of his had ruined his life but of course they remembered it 
yes said mrs holman with intense significance i remember that you had it was the nearest she had ever come to a reproach for the blighting of her life as well as his own four young men from town were the prime movers in the matter which was causing the family such anxiety they had been friends of david since his early boyhood although two of them were younger by several years than himself they had spent many nights together at a time when david's was the ruling spirit and he had led them to the very verge of ruin it had been well for them that he had been suddenly laid aside in that quiet room the accident had sent them to thinking and withdrawn from his influence they had thought to such purpose that now they were reckoned as model young men they had never grown entirely away from their early intimacy with david holman as time passed and his sufferings grew less they had been able to beguile many weary hours for him mrs holman had been very grateful to them in the days gone by and however much the family might withdraw themselves from others the house had always been open to these young men within a few weeks however it had been discovered that they were all more or less interested in what dr holman characterized as the superstition which was spreading over the country more than once he had said that he wished those young men would cease their attentions to david if they were as shallow-brained as their infatuation indicated he would certainly not miss them much but the mother had urged in excuse that they were young and of course more or less curious about all new ideas because they tried to see and hear what they could did not argue a very deep interest and in any case they could do no harm to poor david who had so few visitors so the young men had come and gone as usual until suddenly it was discovered that they had done harm to david it was they who had urged him to that fatal decision to see and hear the dangerous stranger for himself on the morning in question mrs holman left her daughter frances abruptly with a sore feeling in her heart that she had failed in the quarter where she had looked for help she returned to her son's room in time to hear one of the young men say you couldn't have chosen a better day than this holman it is warm but not unpleasantly so the air is like wine. I believe the mere getting out into it once more will do you good. The poor mother turned upon the speaker in only partially suppressed indignation. I supposed you had more sense, she said sharply. Do you think we would have kept our son housed all these months if there had been any safe way to avoid it? Don't you know, or have you forgotten, that every effort to move him from that corner, even, has been followed by hours of agony, and then by such exhaustion that we have hung over him, fearing that each breath would be the last? If you understood his condition as I do, you would see the folly of supposing for a moment that he could endure the movement over the rough street. I have heard his father say that there is not a worse paved street leading to the city than ours it is disagreeable for a well person to ride over it and impossible for my son oh mrs holman exclaimed the young man who had led in the movement throughout do not suppose for a moment that we think of having him ride like common mortals hasn't he described the new hand carriage to you invented for just such emergencies we propose to bring one to the side door lay his bed on it and carry him ourselves 
we shall move very slowly, and we do not believe he will feel any jar whatever. I assure you, dear madame, we have planned most carefully, and feel almost certain of the results. So do I, said the poor mother, with significant bitterness, but she said no more. She had done all she could to prevent what she believed to be a disaster, and that only, and had failed. The resolute will which, rightly managed, would have been such a blessing to her son, but which had degenerated into willful obstinacy and ruined him, awoke from its long lethargy, and reasserted itself that morning with more than its former strength. He would go. Nothing but dying on the spot would prevent it, he assured his mother with a smile which in itself revealed the firm lines of his lips. Without more ado, preparations were commenced for the trying ordeal. The poor sufferer was a marvel to those who knew him well, in that he bore the torture of being dressed for the outside world without even a groan, and, indeed, with no outward sign of suffering, other than his deathly pallor and the dark lines under his eyes bore witness to. His mother hovered about him, pale, tearless, silent, trying to the very last to plan for his comfort. Even when she bent and kissed him good-bye, a long lingering kiss that her foreboding heart told her might be the last which would meet with any response from him, she held herself to silence. It was not the time for speech. She had said what she could, and his father was not at home. "'It is simply a stretcher,' she said, with white lips, her eyes still tearless, as she came into the house at last, having seen the strange procession actually on its way, and looked over it until a bend in the road hid them from view. I have tried to teach myself to expect to see him carried away from me in his coffin, but I did not think he would go out to meet it. David, who, from being the quietest of subordinates, meekly doing to the best of his poor ability just as he was told, had suddenly reasserted himself, decreed that none of the family should accompany him on his perilous journey. He tried to explain the reason to Francis, who, though she had said no word to deter him from the effort, did beg to go with him. No, I cannot have that. My mother must not go, and no one, not even you, blessed sister that you are, must take her place. Besides, if it should come utterly to naught, as I constantly remind myself that it probably will, I do not know that I can make myself understood, but I feel that I could not endure the look of one of you for a while. I must go through that ordeal quite alone. I shall live to get back, I feel sure of that. So it is not good-bye. He had smiled upon her as he spoke, but his face was as white as the face of the dead. After a moment he had added, Kiss me, Francis, and tell Margaret to come and give me a kiss, not for good-bye, but for hope. Margaret came, with the tears streaming from her eyes, and with protestations and beseechings even then. And then his mother had bent over him, and given silently that last, long kiss, and the four strong men had carried him out, with infinite tenderness that was plain, but still at the cost of infinite pain. Seeing his face, mother and sisters had rushed after him with restoratives and with frightened murmurings, but after a moment he had opened his eyes and smiled again. No, mother, he said, I did not faint, not quite. The pain is really less than I had imagined it. 
Mother dear, remember, whatever happens, I had to do it. No one is to blame but myself. Goodbye. That was his parting word. End of chapter 2